Take your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, if you will. We're looking at verses 15 through the end of the chapter, verse 21. And the Apostle Paul is writing here in the book of Philippians. And as most of his epistles follow this basic outline, he has, first of all, introduction where he is simply introducing himself and saying some Uh, kind remarks to the audience that he's writing. And then there's a doctrinal section. And in that doctrinal section, the Apostle Paul usually is correcting different things in the church or commending or just teaching them what the Lord Jesus Christ taught him in Arabia, where he spent three years. Uh, So basic, fundamental Bible doctrine is being taught by the Apostle Paul in his epistles. And then we have a smaller section, but it's called Practical Christian Living. And the Apostle Paul is going to spend time in every single one of his epistles speaking about how we as believers ought to live. Uh, Sometimes he'll say stuff like, be at peace among yourselves. Well, that's a good one, right? Uh, The local church has always needed that teaching, and that's a good thing. Uh, uh, The reason is because we're all different people from all different walks of life. And the one thing we have in common is we love Jesus. And so some were raised up in one church or another church. Some weren't raised up in church at all. But if you love Jesus, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. You ever had a brother you had to work to get along with? You ever had a sister uh, you had to work to get along? I had a I've had two wonderful sisters, but one of them always told on me and my brother. And to this day, at 60, I still look at her like, yeah, I know, I better be careful around you. No, we just had a great time uh, of a reunion with my mother, who uh, just turned 89 earlier this year, and Uh, We were in North Carolina, all the children and several of the grandchildren just had a wonderful time. Uh, But to this day, I still think that I don't say anything, but uh, she would tell on us. I mean, we'd, you know, wrestle like boys do and then fix the whole house just perfect. And she'd say, Mike and Phil have been fighting again, you know. Oh, well, anyway. Well, that's the way it is in a church. Be at peace among yourselves. So we, we've got to work together. So this practical Christian living is actually things that you and I ought to apply to our lives. Now, what we find is these are things that sometimes we cannot do in our own flesh. We cannot do in our own energy. But we don't have to because the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of us. So all we have to do is know what God's Word says about practical Christian living. And then when the Holy Spirit of God starts prompting us, we just have to yield. We just yield to His prompting. And we let Him carry out. Remember the Bible says, For it is God both to will and to do of His good pleasure. He puts the desire in there and He gives us the strength to accomplish it. So never think that the Christian life is like getting a set of rules and now it's my job to live up to that. 
No, 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 no. We got it all wrong. That's not it. Our job is to understand what God wants and understand that he is the one who will put that desire in our hearts and he will give us the strength to carry that out. Now, all we have to do is just yield to the Holy Spirit. He already lives inside of us. Just yield to him. Well, we're looking here at Philippians chapter 3, and we're looking, starting at verse 15. If you're able to, if you could stand with us. If you're not, please remain seated and comfortable. Uh, but we're doing this. Sometimes I've said we do it out of respect for God's Word. Sometimes I'm saying to keep us all awake. So uh, it's a little bit of both, I guess. But that's a pattern that we saw in the Old Testament. You see, when Joshua or Moses would have the law read, it says the people would be standing up. Now, can you imagine being in the middle of the desert and you're standing up for several hours while they read the Word of God and they gave the meaning of it? I mean, you're talking about a three or four or five hour service in the middle of the desert with the sun beating down on you. So, thankfully, we are in an air-conditioned room standing up for just a little while. So, follow along as I read, starting in verse 15. Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule... Let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers of me, and mark them which so walk as ye have us for an example. For many walk of whom I told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is their shame, who mind earthly things." For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. And let's bow our heads for a word of prayer, and then you may be seated. Heavenly Father, Thank you so much for this opportunity to assemble together. Lord, I love Sunday nights as we come together around your word. What a blessing it was this Sunday morning and many visitors, sweet spirit, decisions made for Christ. Lord, would you do something in all of our hearts through your word and by your spirit? Lord, let it not be head knowledge, but let it be that which we endeavor to obtained by yielding to the Spirit of God who lives inside of us. And Lord, if there's anyone watching online or happens to be here that does not know you as their personal Lord and Savior, I pray that today would be a day they would trust you and you alone for salvation. We have no other hope but what you did for us on Calvary, and we're so grateful, Lord. Now speak to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. So we're looking here at this passage of Scripture, and the Apostle Paul is now addressing them. Now, Philippians chapter 3 is my favorite uh, chapter in the New Testament. 
It's a marvelous, marvelous chapter. Uh, I love uh, Psalms 27, one of my favorites in the Old Testament. Uh, I love the book of Nehemiah. But uh, in Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul, in verses 1 through 14, is given us a declaration about what he believes. He, he's saying that I, I uh, have taken everything I've gathered in life and esteemed it as loss, as nothing, that I might win Christ. To be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but the righteousness of Jesus Christ by faith. Wow, what a powerful statement. And then in verse 10, and to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Oh, the apostle Paul wanted to know everything about Jesus, not just the power of his resurrection. Boy, I'd like to know, you know, the greatness of of the life of Christ. But he also said, uh, being conformed unto his death. Well, I'm not so sure uh, that's something I'm interested in. We remember how he died. Jesus was crucified and almost beat to death before he was. And yet the Apostle Paul would later have his head severed from his body for the cause of Christ in Rome. He did accomplish what he was asking for. But in verses 15 uh, on through the end of the chapter, he's talking to us about some truths in the Christian life. And I want to share those with us. First of all, in verse 15, he's talking, uh, he says, Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded, and if anything, in anything, ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. And what he's saying there is, in everything I've just shared with you, in verses 1 through 14, If there's anyone who's like-minded, well, that's wonderful. If there's anyone who's not like-minded, well, God's going to have to teach you some more things. And what he's saying and how he says that is literally, God may have to teach you a little more difficult. He remembers his road to Damascus experience and God had to teach him some things. And remember, he was blinded by that light for three days. He's thinking, I don't want to go through that again. But sometimes God has to teach us things because we're a little slow to learn. And that's what he's addressing here. The proof of ministry is found in obeying revelation. Now, revelation is what God's Word says. It's the revealed Word of God written down for us. And so maturity is not found in knowing. Maturity is found in obeying. It's what we do. It's not what we know. It's not what we put in our head. It's what we put in our heart. It's what we carry out. It's what we put into our life that shows our maturity. John Gill was a a pastor of many years ago. He pastored the Metropolitan Baptist Tabernacle in London. Uh, That church is most famous because the very next pastor was Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And what a tremendous, tremendous ministry he had. 
But before Charles Haddon Spurgeon, John Gill was there for 60 years as pastor. Wow. When did he start at five? It was 60 years as being a pastor there. But he was also very learned and very educated. And by the way, so was John Haddon Spurgeon. All the pastors in England were that of, of that day. And he says about the phrase, be thus minded. What is Paul referring to, if any be thus minded? He says, as the apostle was to count what we were gained to him, lost to Christ, to reckon all things but loss and dung for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ, to be willing to suffer the loss of all things to win Christ, all that's packed in verse 8 of chapter 3, and to desire to be found in him and his righteousness and not man's own, that's packed in verse 9, to know more of him in his person, righteousness, suffering, death, and resurrection from the dead. Well, that's, that's verse 10 of chapter 3. And to obtain as such a state and yet to disclaim all perfection and acknowledge their imperfections. Paul says, I've not arrived. Not that I've apprehended. Now listen. If the Apostle Paul is saying, I have not apprehended, I have not yet arrived as a Christian, as a follower of Lord Jesus Christ, I'm just going to guess the rest of us haven't either. Amen? Is that, is that a fair assumption? Okay. Now, maybe someone here wrote more than half of the New Testament. I don't know, but I don't think so. And uh, I know I've met people who say, well, you know, I've reached that place of sinless perfection, and then I think, thou shalt not lie. But anyway, <laughs> and verses 11 and 12 are talking about that. And to forget things behind and to reach to that which is before, verse 13, and then to press toward the mark, Christ for the prize of eternal glory, and that is in verse 14. So all of these verses is what the Apostle Paul is referring to when he talks about being like-minded. And we as believers ought to be like-minded. Now, as I said, we, didn't, we weren't raised the same. We have different likes, different dislikes, you know. And uh, so we're, we're, we're finding that our unity is on the basis of our experience in Christ our knowledge of Christ, our, the revelation of God's word. There is one word, one baptism, one faith. Uh, all of these things, we've trusted Christ as our personal Savior. So there's this common bond that pulls all of us from different people, different walks of life, different preferences, different experiences, uh, Never in a million years would we pick the same group and say, that's my friends, except for the thread of faith that's wound through all of us, that the Spirit of God just draws closer, 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 until one day we say, I have a family, a family of faith. And it doesn't mean we, we come to that place, now we all agree. No, we don't. 
But there are stages in our lives or areas of our life where we come to agree to disagree. And we're good with that. But that's my brother and that's my sister. And we're part of the same family. And we love each other. Now that's the goal of the Christian church. By the way, that's the miracle of the ecclesia, the called out assembly. We meet together with one Jesus and we love him and we love those who love him. And by the way, let me just share with you, uh, as many of you would know, that doesn't just work in a local assembly. It works with people you work with. You have Christians you work with. Well, they go to another church. Well, you don't go to my church. (laughs) But you have my Savior. I love you. You see, it's not about what church. It is one faith. There's people you know. There's relatives you have that live across the country, but they're believers. And whenever you get together, there's that common bond. You go on a mission trip, and there's people that can't even speak your language, and you can't even speak theirs. But you know they're believers. You can tell, I think that's amazing grace. I know that tune. I've never heard it sung that way, but that tune, I know. And your brothers and sisters in Christ... Years ago, I was in, uh, in uh, Africa, in Zambia, and uh, we arrived there in the evening, and they had some food boiling. Uh, I had no clue what that was, but they were cooking some stuff, and they were going to feed us, and I was saying, Lord, help me. <laughs> and uh, so I, I was trying a little bit of that, and glad I had some rich crackers in my bag, you know. Uh, eating that, and then they were going to have a service, and the pastor uh, was good and mindful to bring a uh, flashlight because there is no electricity there. And so my job is to preach, and honestly, they were going to sing all night long, all night long. I started preaching at 11 o'clock. Now, it still went dark, about eight or maybe seven. See, they're so close to the equator that usually it's, it's light at six and dark at six, you know, right at the equator. And uh, so it was dark, and I have my little flashlight, and we get to the service, and now the pastor has this lamp he's going to turn on, and the batteries are dead. And I'm supposed to preach... And the only light we have is almost a little flashlight that's like you put on your keychain so you can see the key in your, your car door. And it's like, and here I am with my Bible and like this, and I'm thinking, and I can see it getting weaker and weaker. And I just said, okay. I shut my Bible and said, let me preach to you a sermon. And I was thinking, well, there's a lot of sermons I already know, and they're getting one of them. And I preached to them for about an hour. It was so interesting that when they were singing, they were just as happy as could be. And when they sing, they don't, they're not still. Uh, And so they start getting out behind their, I say pew, it's a board on, on two bricks, you know, and two on each side. And that's what they're sitting on. And they get up and they start shuffling. 
And, and then the ladies were putting their hands on the other one's waist, and the guys were coming, and they were shuffling, and they were singing. So when I started preaching, I just started shuffling <laughs> while I preached. And I'd just shuffle, and I'd preach, and shuffle, and I'd preach. And they just thought that was the greatest thing in the world, to have a white guy uh, preaching like an African. And I just had the time of my life. That's the common bond that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's just amazing. I was in Korea one time of a church around 500, and I was the first time an American had ever attended that church, much less preached the message. So I preached the message, and then the pastor would preach it in Korean. Now, the problem was he didn't know English, and I didn't know Korean. So one of the ladies who went in the group that we were visiting with, she knew both, and so she had to take my sermon, and I had to write it out phrase at a time, and she would translate it in um, Korean. So she'd have a paragraph of English and a paragraph of Korean, a paragraph of English, a paragraph. And so I'm reading my paragraph, then he reads his paragraph. I read my paragraph, and he reads his paragraph. I'd get excited about the sermon. He'd get excited about the sermon. And the people just had a blast watching an American preaching in their church and just enjoyed it. And the pastor said, please, if you ever are in here, come back and preach to us again. What a wonderful thing. If any be like-minded, we certainly ought to be far more like-minded than we are not like-minded. Because the Word of God commands us to have that unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace. But Paul goes on and says, But if any are other mind, otherwise minded, even God will reveal this to him. So John Gill says concerning that, Such errors will be made manifest sooner or later. The day will declare it, and such wood, hay, and stubble will be burnt by fire, which will reveal every man's work. And so he's, what, he's, what he's saying, if they don't earn it, if they don't learn some things in this life, well, uh, God's going to teach them, you know, in the next life. They're going to realize that so much of what they believed or so much of what they lived was just all done away with. So it's so important to go by the word of God. That is what's important. Uh, I read this illustration. It says, as water never rises above its level, so do we never arise above our level. And this was W.H. Griffin Thomas who made this illustration. And he said, we shall never take people one hair's breadth beyond our own spiritual attainment. We may point to higher things, but we shall only take them as far as we ourselves have gone. Now, several of you might be teachers of uh, adult Sunday school classes, and what it is simply stating is, you do not bring anyone further along the journey of spiritual growth than you've been. 
You never have people, you never take people further than you are. Now, you may point to someone who's a lot further, but you can't take them more. Many years ago, when I was in Bible college, and it seems like 100 years ago, but it was probably only 50, some. Uh, But anyway, it was a while ago. But our president of the Bible college used to make this statement at least once a month. If what you are is not pleasing to God, what you do will never be. If who you are is not pleasing to God, then what you do for God will never be pleasing to Him. He wanted us to learn that the Christian life is not about attainment. It's about being what God wants us to be. And if you're a spiritual teacher, the very best thing you'll ever do beyond studying your lesson and even above studying your lesson is walking with God yourself. And if you know how to walk with God yourself, it may be in the future God will give you people that will follow your walk because you're pointing to the Savior. And the Apostle Paul says that, be ye followers of me, even as also I am of Christ. See, Paul wasn't looking for a personal followership. He was looking for people to follow Jesus. But the truth be told, every one of us need a visible illustration. You see, we hear a lot of Christianity. We need to see more of it in shoe leather. We need people to live it out. We need to look at some brother or sister in church and say, I want to be like them. That's somebody I want to be. There ought to be some single girls in our, uh, grow up in our church, look at some of you godly wives and say, that, I want to be like that woman. Some godly woman who lives for Christ, young people look up and say, I, I want to be like that. Some godly man in our church, whether he's single or married, and young people say, I, I, want, to be like, I want to be like Bill. I want to be like him. He's kind. He always has time for people. He's always courteous. You never see him frustrated. You never see him angry. I want to be like that man. Every one of us ought to be a little copy of the Bible in flesh. Now, I know we're all poor representations. We're sinners saved by grace. I understand that. But understand this, that your life is the only Bible most people will ever read. Let them see Christ in us. And then the Apostle Paul says, live what we know in verse 16. Nevertheless, whereunto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. And what he's saying is, it doesn't matter how far down the journey you are in the Christian life, to whatever degree you've learned, live what you've learned. If you learn more, that's great. Live to that level. But let us live what we've already obtained. And that's exactly what he's saying. Saying, whatever you have obtained in your knowledge of Christ and His Word, we're to walk in the knowledge we possess 
walk by the same rule, mind the same thing. Um, Someone said that's to be of one heart and affection to each other, like Romans chapter 12, verse 10 tells us, and of the same judgment in the doctrines of the gospel, like 1 Corinthians 1, 10 tells us, and pursue the same measures, particularly press toward the same mark and for the same prize the apostle did, that's Philippians chapter 3, verse 14, and be followers of him as exhorted in verse 17 of this same passage. Live what we know. Charles Haddon Spurgeon talked about that. He says, to remain divided is sinful. Did not our Lord pray that they may be one even as we are one? He firmly believed that. But he also went on to say, what's the basis of that unity? A chorus of ecumenical voices keep harping the unity tune. He said that, and of course, that's back in the 1800s. What, are they say, what they are saying is Christians of all doctrinal shades and beliefs must come together in one visible organization regardless, unite, unite. But here's what he says concerning that. Such teaching is false, reckless, and dangerous. Truth alone must determine our alignments. Truth comes before unity. Unity without truth is hazardous. Our Lord's Prayer in John 17 must be read in its full context. Look at verse 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Only those sanctified through the word can be one in Christ. To teach otherwise is to betray the gospel. And certainly we live in a day where there's people who have the tag of Christians They do not believe that Jesus is the only way of salvation. I read something alarming two weeks ago, and it was saying in America, 60% of Christians believe that uh, Buddha is just as easy to get to God as through Jesus Christ. And for a Christian, we know that's not true. Because our Savior said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father by any other. In Acts it says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus Christ said to the Jews that were there, he says, if you believe not that I am he, the Messiah, you shall die in your sins. He did not come as an alternative for mankind, another life preserver to be thrown out for people to catch hold of. He came as the only hope, the only antidote to our sin. The only hope of us missing hell forever and ever and ever is to receive simply Christ and what he did, God bearing all of our sins on himself and paying for them in full 
so that we by faith can receive him as our personal Savior. And anyone who receives Christ receives forgiveness of sin forever. It doesn't matter which continent you live on. It doesn't matter which language you speak. It doesn't matter which color you possess. God sent his son to die for the world that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He goes on to say to follow spiritual leadership in verses 17, 18, and 19. He says in verse 17, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have for us an example. So he's saying, follow me and follow those who follow Christ like me. And that's what he's saying. Many of you may have been raised up in church and you had a faithful, godly pastor as a child. But then you got later in life and you moved to different areas, but guess what? You found another faithful pastor that was true to God and lived for the Lord and was a good example to follow. And then it may be you moved again in life because we as America have this tend to not have long roots down. I was in uh, preaching in, uh, let's see, that was uh, Murfreesboro, Tennessee one time, and we were staying in a hotel, and I, I, after the service, I went up to the young lady, and we were just talking for a little while, and uh, I was asking her, um, you know, where she's from. She said, uh, Murfreesboro, this is my hometown. I said, wonderful. I said, uh, you know, Nashville's an hour and a half away. Uh, do you like the big city or you just like to stay here? She said, well, I've, I've, I've never left here. She, she's like 21 years ago, 21 years old. I said, I mean, what, now wait a minute. What, what do you mean by that? Well, I mean, I've lived here all my life. I've, I've never been anywhere else. Well, you've been to Nashville. She said, no. That's an hour and a half away. That's like living here all the time saying, I've never been to Salem. Well, it's not much to see, but at least you ought to have gone there. You know? It's like living on 213 and say, I've never been to Malala. Well, I can tell you, it's not much to see, but you ought to at least drive down the road 10 miles and look at it. You know? Uh, she had not gone outside of her city. At 21, I said, whoa. I had an opportunity to share Christ with her and lead her to Christ right there in the lobby of the hotel. There were no other people coming in, and God gave me that wonderful opportunity, and she was very happy about it. But at least she gets out of Murfreesboro one day, right? <laughs> she gets to go to heaven forever. Follow godly leadership. Those who rebel against this godly leadership has caused the leader great pain. The Apostle Paul's now I tell you of these, even weeping. Ultimately, these are people who mind earthly things. Now, I know we live in a day where bumper stickers are saying question authority. 
But God's Word is telling us to follow spiritual authority. Uh, Prove all things, hold fast to that which is true. I'm not saying because someone has a title of pastor that you're supposed to follow them. But I am saying if that person is a godly pastor and has proved their sincerity and proved themselves that we as believers ought to follow their leadership. And that's just a biblical truth that's found over and over in the Word of God. And we need to understand that, to follow those godly leaders. Now, we have many assistant pastors here at Grandview Baptist Church as well. And by the way, every single one of them are godly people that you can follow. They are the ones like the Apostle Paul says, and if you find those uh, who have the same, it says, mark them, Uh, which walk so as ye have us for an example. Follow them too. They're good godly men. Now, are they perfect? No, but neither is the pastor. None of us are perfect. None of us are to be followed perfectly. We're just sinners saved by grace. But we have been given our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he has called us to leadership. The call of ministry is a call of leadership. It's not a call to stand up and preach a sermon. I've heard teenage boys preach better than I could ever preach. I mean, honestly, I've heard good messages from a variety of means and ways. But it doesn't mean I'm going to follow the 14-year-old that preaches a good message. He's got to have a life that backs that up in leadership. And so a Christian leader has a life that backs up his message, and God's word is to follow them. And that's what the Apostle Paul is mentioning. Someone said in 1993 in a magazine called Bits and Pieces, it's full of humor, but it says the trouble with being a leader today is you can't be sure whether people are following you or chasing you. Well, I, I guess that's sometimes true. I, I've, there's times I've felt like people were chasing and not following. And uh, probably every leader has felt that way at some time. Then the Bible says in verse 20 and 21 that our citizenship is in heaven. Oh, what a wonderful thing. You know, uh, back uh, many years ago... Um, for fun, uh, when my boys were teenagers and lived at home, one of the things I enjoyed, and this was probably around 2004, 2005, 2006, was to buy a home around here cheaply. And you know, that has to be history, right? When I say you bought a home cheaply, that that has not happened anymore. But You'd buy one that needed doctoring, needed some love and some attention, and I'd buy those. And remember those days you could buy for no money down? All they took was your credit rating, and if you had a little bit of money in the bank, they gave you a loan. Ah, those days are long gone too, right? 20% down sometimes. And so uh, we would buy a house, fix it up, and flip it. And then we'd buy a house, fix it up, and flip it. Oh, it was just such fun. Really enjoyed that, uh, uh, being that. 
And, and so sometimes with that, I could give more to missions. I could help with church projects. Uh, honestly, my goal in doing all of that was one day to have enough money to build a gym by my own gifts and offerings. And I was well set unless 2008 came along. Boy, that sure messed up my plans. But anyway, when I had a little extra, I bought different pieces of property. Now, I would never recommend this, but you could buy property on eBay. So I own some land in the middle of the desert in Texas and New Mexico, in Eastern Oregon. I got a lot in Michigan against the lake, of which I'll never see. I just pay taxes on them. But the land's so valuable, the taxes is always like two ten a year. I mean $2.10 a year. That's... That's how valuable desert land is in the middle of Texas. But I'm the owner. I've never been there. I've never set foot on that property. I guarantee you in the millennial reign, I still will not. It's desert. I'm not going there. But when I was nine years of age... I trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, and I got a title clear to a home in heaven. And ever since that day, I've been a citizen of heaven. I just haven't been there. It's like having a vacation home that you've never been to, only to find out the vacation home is a mansion far bigger than you'd ever imagine. And one of these days... My eyes will see what my heart knows God gave me many, many years ago. And that's true for all of us. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying. Our citizenship is in heaven. When he talks about conversation being in heaven, he is referring to that word conversation means citizenship. That's where we live, where we converse, where we operate is in heaven. And someone said, we know very little about heaven. But once I heard a great theologian describe it as an unknown region with a well-known inhabitant. What makes heaven so glorious is that we know Jesus is there. I love what he says, that where I am, there ye may be also. That's what makes heaven heaven. Not the streets of gold, not the great mansion, not the gates of pearl, but the fact the one who gave his life for our salvation is there, and we will forever be with him. Oh, how I look forward to that day. What a blessing. Richard Baxter expresses the thoughts in these lines. He says, My knowledge of that life is small. The eye of faith is dim. But it's enough that Christ knows all, and I shall be with him. To those who have learned to trust, 
and love Jesus, the prospect of meeting him face to face and being with him forever is the hope that keeps us going no matter what life may throw at us. When Fanny Crosby was 84 years of age, and of course, as many of you know, she was the, one of the most prolific so- hymn writers, songwriters in Christian faith. Uh, she wrote in excess of 6,000 hymns. She used five pseudonyms or fake names because her, she was so prolific, she was flooding the market. And every song said Fanny Crosby. So she came up with other names to write under. So in actuality, we don't know all the hymns that she wrote. She was born a baby girl with perfect sight, but the doctor was putting drops in her eyes and he put the wrong stuff. And she was blinded as a baby. Her parents did not see that as a terrible thing back in those days. Usually, if a child had afflictions, they were sent to a home. Not a home to be loved and cared for, but a home to live till they died with very little love and attention. And her parents were strong believers saying, we're not going to do that. No, sir, we're not going to do that. Praise God for parents who have children with afflictions and they say, I'm going to love this child like Jesus would. Oh, man, that just does my heart good to see that. That's Christian living. And so they cherished her and they taught her so many things. It's an amazing thing that Fanny Crosby, I don't know her middle name, Fanny Crosby, her parents taught her to memorize And she memorized over 39 books of the Bible. 39 books of the Bible. Now, if you're wondering, was it uh, 3 John or Jude? uh, Let me just say that she, she could say verbatim the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, Genesis through Deuteronomy. She had memorized the book of Psalms with 150 chapters. She had memorized Isaiah, the longest book in the Bible, if you go by words and by spaces and syllables, longer than Psalms, because each verse is big. She learned all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, most of the epistles, 39 whole books of the Bible out of 66 books of the Bible. She was an amazing lady. She was at a meeting one time, a Christian gathering, and someone asked her and said, "Uh, Miss Crosby, if you could get your sight as a miraculous gift of God right now, would you want that? And she said, "Uh, no. She says, as it is, the first face I will ever see is the face of my Savior. And that's the way I want it. And someone asked her, uh, well, Miss Crosby, how will you recognize him? And she thought for a moment and said, you know, I'll have to get back to you on that. I, 
That's an interesting question. She went to bed that night, and it was often her practice. She'd get up at 2 in the morning, and with a pencil and a piece of paper, she'd write another song. And she'd say, I shall know him. I shall know him. I shall know him by the scars in his hand. He's the only one that has those nail prints. And he's waiting for every one of us. We are already citizens of that country, having placed our faith in Jesus Christ and him alone for salvation. May I remind us all that you can watch the TV and get discouraged. You can read the internet news and another murder happened, another this happened, another crime took place. Or you can spend some time in this book and get encouraged. You get to choose. But this book is going to tell you that God's got a wonderful future for all of us. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Let the Lord speak to your heart. Are we being heavenly minded like the Lord wants us to be? Are we being like minded with other believers? Not to the sacrifice of scriptural doctrine, but believers who believe a little bit different on this or that. Nothing major, nothing to do with salvation. Can we love them, treat them as honest brothers and sisters in Christ like God wants us to and share that love as a spiritual family? If you're here tonight and you know you've trusted Christ as your Savior, heaven's your eternal home. But if there's anyone that doubts that heaven is their home and doubts that they've placed faith in Christ... It's such a simple thing to receive Christ as one Savior. There may be those watching online that would say, Pastor, I've never come to that place that I know if I died today, I'd go to heaven. The only way we reach that place is our confidence is totally in Christ and none in us. But if we're willing to acknowledge we're sinners and ask him to save us, then he is willing to save us. The Bible says he will save to the uttermost all that come unto God by him. You could simply ask Jesus to save you. For the rest of us, there may be areas of our life that There's things we know, but we've not attained to. We've not been living what we know. And may the Holy Spirit of God help all of us. Because no doubt in all of our lives, there's areas where where we just have not done what we know God's Word wants. Help us to yield to the Holy Spirit, Lord. Help us to follow your prompting. Dear Father, thank you so much for this time we've had around your word. Would you speak to all of our hearts? For those who are discouraged with things in life, Lord, would you let them know that this little vapor 
of life is soon to pass, and eternity with you will be glorious. Father, help them to take heart and to take courage, that whatever challenges they face here on earth is just for a little bit of time. It's for a season, and then it vanisheth away. Help us to live for you totally, Lord, and let us put our faith not just for salvation, but for every other area of life. And I pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand to our feet. And it may be that God's speaking to your heart. And if that's the case, you can come and make a decision or where you stand, you can make a decision. But as a Christian, sometimes I felt I wanted to come to an old-fashioned altar and just have a quick prayer and ask God to do something very special in my life. Or times I had to admit to the Lord that he had indeed talked to my heart and that sermon had my name all over it. And so let the Lord yield to your heart, yield your heart to the Lord and let's do what God wants. Heads are bowed, the music's playing. God bless you. You may be seated, and we're going to watch the next video, and then we'll be dismissed. God bless you for coming this evening. Prime Time with Pastor will be held this Tuesday, July 19th, here at Grandview in the Abundant Life Classroom. The cost is only $10 per person, and you can sign up today at the welcome desk to attend. Teenagers, don't miss out on the overtime teen activity coming up on Wednesday after the evening service. We'll play street hockey and capture the flag immediately following the Wednesday night service, and we'll be finished by 8.45 p.m. There is no cost to attend. Our summer children's program will be putting on a musical play entitled All About the Call on Sunday, July 24th at 5 p.m. Get your kids involved this summer as we work to bring fun, Bible truths, and singing together for all ages. Mount Zion Baptist Teen Camp is August 1st through the 5th. The cost is $230, and that includes a camp shirt, activities, meals from Monday night to Friday morning, travel expenses, and more. It's for teenagers going to 7th grade up to high school graduates this year. A sign-up sheet, camp brochure, and permission forms are available at the welcome desk. Also, if you would like to donate to camp or sponsor a teenager, please designate it on your giving envelope. For questions or more information, please see TJ Gardner. If this is your first or second time here, we want to answer your questions and get to know you. Please fill out the Connect card in the pew in front of you and bring it to guest services as you exit the auditorium. 
We would love to meet you and you will receive a gift card. Have a great week and we'll see you Wednesday night at 7 p.m. God bless you. You're dismissed. 